0: Kobe Bryant asked me to get a beer. <laughs> and the kids are all under control. I'm going to have a beer. So we That's sat there. We had a beer. And and we talked about Phil Jackson. We talked about Shaq. We talked about the players that he hated. We talked. He was just. I just couldn't believe how honest he was. I couldn't believe how candid he was. And I couldn't believe just how down to earth he was. And how freaking smart he was. And I could sense that this was an, an extremely intelligent guy. And he almost had like a childlike way with the way he would talk about things. He was just. Most people are guarded, you know, most people are guarded and they don't give that like intense passion when you talk about something. Kobe was like childlike with this curiosity about things. I would show him something, and he would really see that. And he would look at it and he would study it and he would analyze it. He would soak it all
1: in, and he would give it his full attention with at whatever he did. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. And today's guest is Matt Mauser. Matt is a songwriter. He's a solo artist. He's a pop rock band leader, having spent more than two decades on stage and writing music. But as of late, music has also become very therapeutic for Matt, who lost his wife, Christina, in the January 2020 helicopter crash that also killed NBA great Kobe Bryant. Kobe and Matt became very close when he hired Matt to create music for some projects that he was working on. Kobe and Christina also worked together where they coached a girls basketball team at the Mamba Sports Academy. Matt's latest hit, Lost, was written during the aftermath of Christina's passing, and the song reaches out to those who've experienced similar losses in their own lives. Millions of hearts were touched during Matt's audition and performance at America's Got Talent earlier this year, where he shared his devastating story while his three kids cheered him on live. While he didn't win the competition, he won the bigger battle by inspiring his kids to find light during times of darkness, and to inspire them to chase their dreams. Today, we get into the evolution of Matt's journey as a musician, how he met Christina, and the role that she played in his music career. Matt and I also chat about his intimate relationship with Kobe, what he really was like, and the impact that Kobe had on his family. We also go deep on Matt's grieving process after the crash, how fatherhood has changed, what's next for him, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Matt Mauser, the Adversity Advantage Podcast. Matt, welcome to the Adversity Advantage Podcast. Doug, good to be here. Thanks. Yeah, man. Your your story is incredibly inspiring and just your, your level of courage, your level of authenticity, transparency, and vulnerability with everything that you've gone through. And what really, I guess, drew me to wanting to talk to you is, you know, first, obviously, your appearance on America's Got Talent, where it's, if anybody hasn't seen your audition it's one of the most moving emotionally charged inspirational videos i've ever seen and i've seen a lot of stuff and i guess in summary like why it was like i know that you and your wife were were married 15 years had an awesome marriage three kids and built this amazing life together and then your wife started to coach basketball with kobe bryant and unfortunately she was on the same helicopter that that killed kobe and i definitely want to get into like the grieving process and how y'all met kobe and everything but i guess before we do that you you started getting into music pretty pretty young yeah. like you were i think i was reading you were what like eight years old when you first recorded a song
0: yeah yeah <laughs> i just when my dad played guitar and my aunts were all uh, pianists so i would hear a lot in the house and i would hear a lot of family gatherings and and my aunt was actually the piano player for Radio City Music Hall in New York for, for 30 some years. And, you know, a lot of studied, learned, <laughs> I get that movie, Learned Doctors, it was learned, I was of learned doctors and stepbrothers, but it was learned piano players. And, you know, they were, I just came from a very musical family and, and hearing it all the time. I worked at the swap meet with my uncle. We sold speakers. And I remember like being six, seven years old in there, Zeppelin and Queen and you know, and uh, just all the, all the big classic rock bands and, and memorizing every song. And I just kind of had a natural tendency toward it. So my brother took guitar lessons and then I would learn the, the chords when he come home from his lesson. And, and I would just figure stuff out pretty quick. And, and I would write songs, you know, they're like eight years old, straight up like, you know, the different chords in the guitar. That was it.
1: That was the beginning. Wow. That's, that's awesome so did you did you ever so I guess did you know back then that this is what you wanted to do was just to be a musician?
0: I wanted to be a baseball player, honestly, you know, like every other kid, I wanted to be a baseball player and but I knew that i I loved music, uh, especially I mean as I got a little older like 15, 16, I said, this is what I want to do, and I remember going and seeing, believe it or not, the pretenders It's <laughs> oh, really? all the pretenders with Chrissy Hyde. And I just love, you know, their song called Chain Gang. And I figured out, did you need it? And I, I, I could, I went home and learned to play the guitar and I wrote a song to it. And I said, this would be what I want to do, you know? I also saw Kiss. I saw Kiss like in 1980 at like nine years old. I was just like, oh, this is what I mean. So, you know, getting exposed to like bands and, and hearing live music, it just gave me such a rush.
1: Right. So that's what I want to do. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I feel like that's probably what happens to a lot of musicians is they get this taste of, of going to see other bands, other performers, and it creates some sort of inspiration in them because you hear a lot about different people who get into music and they're like, oh, my music was inspired by this band or this artist. And they kind of blend it to make it their own. So as you're getting older, you're, you're falling more in love with music you're in love, obviously. You're talking about with baseball, wanting to be a professional baseball player, but you also had this other passion for swimming. Right. So, so talk a bit about your swimming career because I believe you ended up winning a couple, you competed in the NCAA championships or finals as you were in college. Did you start to swim when you were younger? Was it something you picked up in high school?
0: Well, it's interesting how I got into it. My uncle was a swim coach at a local popular high school called Newport Harbor High School. And then we said, you know, we would go and watch swimmies and I would watch my aunt. She was a triathlete. She did the uh, lifeguard competitions. So I would like watch them, but I never really got into swimming. I was always in baseball until like high school. I was at a PE class and the the swim coach and the water polo coach was at one of our PD classes it was a hot day and they lined everybody up on the end of the pool. And they said, okay, uh, we're going to race the whole PE class. And so I won. <laughs> you know? Wow. We won from you know from one end of the pool is 25 yards, and I won and the co- and the water polo coach pulled me out and said, "You're fast swimmer. Would you consider playing water polo?" And it wasn't during baseball season, so I said, "Yeah, sure." And I went out that day, and I fell in love with water polo. I had a I had a good arm from playing baseball, and I was a decent swimmer. I grew up on a houseboat in the LA Harbor. And my dad, when we go visit my dad, and so I you know I kind of combined the two and. That led to the coach saying, hey, Matt, I know you're playing baseball in the spring. Would you be willing to come out and swim at the meets? You're a good backstroker. And I said, sure. So I swim at the meets my junior, senior year. And, and that kind of turned into, believe it or not, my senior year, I broke the school record in the hunter back. Wow. And I got some notice. And so I got, I got recruited to swim at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo where I was an A finalist in the 100 and 200 back.
1: Man, life takes takes you through these unexpected journeys sometimes, right? Like it seems that you had this passion for music and then you had your eyes on baseball and then all of a sudden you just try out swimming and little did you know that it would end up becoming like this incredible talent of yours, not only talent, but even like in present day with everything you've gone through been like one of your biggest forms of therapy to help keep you grounded right. my biggest uh, yeah keeps me sane <laughs> so I, and going back to the swimming I know it's when you're a swimmer it requires so much discipline hard work dedication perseverance just self-discipline like how has all of that transitioned into your ability to build a music career
0: you know I, I used to I used to tell this before Christina even passed away I would look at you know stepping up on stage or or, or performing at a club or we call you know bar club or doing a wedding you know we we've, we've progressed we gotten to a place where we do you know a lot of really really cool shows but when i first started i looked at performing much as the way i, I took athletic competition i would prep myself i would give everything i had i trained hard you know i would practice I'd do my vocal warmups i'd learn the songs I'd know what I needed to do. I, I would I would figure out angles on how what I was going to say during certain songs and how I was going to perform, or the, you know, like a, an anecdotal joke that I would tell when I was doing a song. And it's like it's you know swimming, and not just swimming, but all sports. I think really prepares you for whatever you do, whether it's you know doctor or musician, for like myself. You just you know the sports and and having to perform in at a high level with competition, it it prepares you for so many different, you know, things that you do in your lives.
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I think swimming or any other athletic endeavor, you know, transfers into so many other areas of your life because you, you work on these, these muscles, these non-physical muscles that I think are crucial for life, you know, like dedication, discipline, perseverance, uh, courage, like doing things that, You don't want doing things that are hard, even when you don't want to getting up early, like structure, (laughs) personal accountability. Yeah. Like, Like you start to build those muscles and it becomes like second nature as you move throughout your life when you're doing other things. And the reason I asked about music was like, there's so many people that want to make it in the entertainment space, but they don't understand sometimes what's required, the level of dedication, like putting yourself out there on a daily basis. You can't just you know, show up and, and play a show and like once a month and expect your music career to pop off. It's a daily grind.
0: So true, man. So true. And, and, and like, I always had this, you know, kind of, kind of doubt about these, about these shows, like, like the one that I was on, like America's, you know, uh, American Idol and all these things, these kids think they can just show up. And it happens in some cases, say one song and think they're going to be able to like carry a whole night of entertainment, you know? that takes years of practice that takes years of really knowing how to how to how to inspire an audience how to talk how to how to how to, how to relate a song to what they might be going through you know every, like you're talking about those i love that that analogy you know those non non physical muscles you know it's like you you really have to learn your craft and experience for me is is one of the, is one of the best teachers but as far as swimming goes swimming is painful it's really boring and it's cold <laughs> and it's like, if you can conquer pain and boredom and being uncomfortable, you know, cold, you have such an advantage when you go into other parts of your life. You know, I, I, I always, I always remember that when I'm about to jump in, it's like, this is going to help me as much as I hate this, this, this will help. And yeah, definitely. It teaches you discipline.
1: Yeah. It's like when you experience like these short-term pains for like more long-term peace, more long-term like harmony within yourself when like, I mean, for instance, when you work out, like initially it it can suck to get up at five o'clock in the morning if you have to and put your sweatpants on and have to go out for a run. But afterwards you feel like a million bucks. You're like, wow, I'm so glad that I did this. The same thing comes when you're, you know, writing a chapter in a book, if you're trying to write a book and, or if you're putting yourself out there with trying to get a new job or trying to mend a relationship in your life, like initially it might suck because it's challenging and uncomfortable, but like afterwards you feel really good about it. And one thing too, that I think a lot of people may not know is you were a Spanish teacher, right? Like build yeah. while you built your, your career as a musician. So talk a bit about that. So you leave college, you just immediately just decide that, you know, I'm not going to go the music route. I'm just going to go and become a teacher.
0: Well, that's a good. Co- so the way it happened is, I, I graduated from college and I came back. I was a, I was a Huntington Beach lifeguard, and I did that for 22 years. And I didn't want to, you know, I, I was I didn't know what I really wanted to do. Was I going to just start the band? Was I going to go into something else? I really didn't have like a career path. But I was I knew that I could substitute teach, and so I went to the district office and I said, I want to teach history. I passed a couple of tests that allow me to. To substitute teaching history, and they said we don't need history teachers. I said, "What do you need?" They said, "We need Spanish teachers." I said, "Ado español." <laughs> <I can't remember. laughs> yeah. So I figured it, and I didn't speak that well, but I spoke better than most gringos, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I remember I I, I kind of soaked a lot up in my high school Spanish classes, and so they said, "Okay, we'll put you to work." And they called me the next day, and I realized that that was somewhere I needed to be. And one of the teachers had a heart attack. And I could control the class. And they said, would you be willing to take the class for the next year? And I said, yeah. So I took over class a high school and I got a job as the swim coach. And I was coaching and, and, and teaching and then lifeguarding. And I never stopped the music though. I was always doing the music. It was always on, you know, it was always kind of something I was working towards. So I started a, brand, a band with my brother I started a band with another guitar player. And then I I was taking a guitar class at Orange Coast College, local GC. And I asked the guitar teacher at that, the student guitar teacher, if he wanted to be in my band. And he said, wait, wait, wait." he's this great player. And he said, well, what's the name of the band? I said, well, we'll figure that out when you agree. (laughs) (laughs) So he said, well, get it, get it. And if, if it's, you know, put together a band, then if I'm available, we'll do it. And so I got a gig. I put together a band. I found a bass player in the Penny Saver. Back then, you could just, like, put an article on the Penny Saver. I found a drummer through a lifeguard buddy. And I passed out flyers up and down the beach on my Jeep. I was driving in my truck on the beach and passing out flyers to every pretty girl. And I, I booked this little club in Huntington called the Sunset Pub. And it was, like, a dump. And I said, I'll, I'll pack your place, and I'll make you a lot of money. And he said, okay. So... <laughs> I called Dave. He's the guitar player. He's a guitar teacher at Orange Coast College, and he said, "What's it pay?" I said, well, "What do you charge?" He said, oh, "About a hundred bucks." I said, "Sure, that's what it pays." So, I think we made two hundred bucks. I gave the bass player and the drummer fifty, and I gave him hundred, and I made nothing. But I had like three hundred girls there at our first show. Wow! So, what year is this? This was nineteen ninety-eight. Wow! And everybody said, "That's like you're the greatest band ever." We we were we sucked. <laughs> but they've made us pretty good you know we could do a lot of stuff and I, i just entertained
1: and from then on we created a buzz never stopped and so you just grinded it out as a lifeguard as a teacher mm-hmm. swim coach and then you did the musician stuff on the side so would that be could you like really work on that side of the business like at nighttime or early morning like how did that work i would just go
0: to open mics i would go to i would book clubs i tell them i would I just got really good at promoting. Yeah. I lived in my mom's garage. You know, I was divorced. I, I had been married since 26, 27. By 2028, 20, I was divorced because the band, she told me it was me or the band. And I said, okay, you gotta go. <laughs> <laughs> and I saved every dime. My social life was playing music at night at clubs. Mm-hmm. And so I, I drank for free. I ate for free. And then I was freeloading in my mom's garage next to the lawnmower and i put away about 50 grand you know wow. i just stashed everything away and i bought a house yeah. and wow. i moved my lifeguard buddies into my house and the band took off we were playing you know weddings and corporate gigs and i was teaching and i was lifeguarding, and i just never took days off and i loved my life
1: i was just killing it save something-
0: 100 of everything i made
1: it's so inspirational. I think there's, there's a lot to be said for just pursuing your dreams and doing like having like that, whatever it takes mentality. You hear a lot of people, they want to chase after something, but they're not willing to make these sacrifices to actually go and get it. And you did that. Like you're working essentially three jobs between you know, lifeguarding, teaching, coaching, and then on top of that, trying to build this music career. And it's, it's really admirable that you were able to to build that with everything else you had going on, so you so you build your career, you guys start to get, become pretty popular, and then your your wife, your Christina, was a a fan at a show, right? She saw you play, and then you ended up, you know, I guess asking her out, and you guys had a conversation. Maybe it was in your car or something about music.
0: Well, yeah, I, mean, I met her at this bar. It was right by what's called the Pond, which is in Orange County where the Ducks play. And it was after a Ducks game, and I was playing this bar across the street, outdoors. It was like a nice evening in uh, Southern California. I and mean, she came over with a friend, and I think she was with a, a guy, and I was with some other gal. And I remember she walked in, and she was sitting on the patio. We were playing on the patio, and and I looked at her, and I said, "Wow!" I, I just remember thinking, you know, "Wow, what a beautiful woman." And I said, "Now that," I remember just m- making a note in my head. I could marry a girl like that. Wow. But I, cause I wasn't even considered, you know, getting married, but I said, I I could marry a girl like that. I remember I was goofing around. I think I was doing Madonna or something and goofing around and she started laughing and we had some t-shirts for sale. So she walked over to my girlfriend at the time and wanted to buy a t-shirt. And then she asked my girlfriend, would you sign her t-shirt? And I said, sure. So I signed a t-shirt and I gave him a card. Hey, thank you for coming everything was on the up and up. I wasn't, you know, and then they came back and then they came back another time and I saw she was with the same guy and I kind of like, you know, I didn't take notice of it, but we kind of made eye contact at one point, you know, and she came back a third time without him and I asked her to dance and she said, no, I have a boyfriend. I said, well, come back again when you don't have a boyfriend. And we we're at this, this. I think it was the fourth or fifth, the fourth time. We we're at this club in Huntington, and we had just finished. And she walked up, and I didn't remember her at first. And she goes, "And you remember me?" And I said, "No." And she said, "You sold me a shirt, you sold me a CD." I go, "Oh yeah." She goes, "I don't have a boyfriend." And I said, "About time." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I said, "Well." you know, if you're not doing anything later, let's, let's go get some Del Taco. So we did. And, you know, we sat in my car, ate Del Taco and talked. And I remember just listening to her. I could get her to laugh. And she had the most beautiful, pure, sincere laugh that I'd ever heard. She was, and I remember just thinking, okay, this is, this is different than, this is a different experience than I I've felt before with other women or, Somebody else, you know. I, I just went. I fell in love with her the minute I heard her laugh. You know, because you know, you don't know how you really feel till you really get close to somebody, and then right. And then when I heard her laugh, and it was a genuine, you know, it was. I just, I, I knew I was in love with her. I didn't know how deeply. I, I just knew I was attracted to her. And that was that was the first day, and I spoke to her every day. And since then, till the day she died.
1: Wow. Yep. Wow. So that was with 2003, 2004?
0: That was 2004. We met July of 2004. And we were married, May of 2005.
1: It didn't take long. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of knew. and. I think your mom had said to you, like, if you don't marry this girl, you're a complete idiot, right?
0: Yeah, it was, that was in, at a Mimi's Cafe right around Thanksgiving, and I was kind of on the fence. I don't know if i She came back from a little girl's trip to Palm Springs, and we were waiting for her. And my mom hadn't seen her that many times, but she came walking in, and my mom was like, oh my God, what a beautiful woman. And I said, and she looked at me before Christina got to the table and said, if you don't marry her, you're an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> She was like, you need to get married. You know, I want some yeah. anxious type thing. So,
1: yeah. And you were said, you were, you had said that, that you weren't like ready to to resettle down again. I mean, you had just been married and you are like, you know what? I'm kind of done with this. But there was obviously something different about Christina that, that kept your interest. And, and it just, I'm sure it said a lot too for her to keep coming back. Cause I'm sure there was a lot of, there's a lot of girls or people that come to see bands and they're a fan for like a night. And then that's it, yeah. you know, and then they just, you don't see them again. And no, she, just, no. she just kept coming back over and over again. And, and she was in the education system, too. She was a teacher or coach. Yeah,
0: she, she was in college when I met her.
1: You know, she was like 10 years younger
0: than I am. So she, was, she got her degree in liberal studies, which is like, you know, prepping you for a teacher. And right. She was going to be a grammar school teacher. And she got her teaching credential. And so, you know, we got married. We got married in May. She graduated from Cal State Fullerton. She took her finals. We went on our honey t- honeymoon all on the same two weeks, <laughs> like between May fifth and May th- you know fifteenth or twentieth. She graduated, got married, honeymoon, did her finals, and graduated, and like you know all these lifetime events in two weeks. Wow. Yeah, we we, I guess we didn't understand subtlety or, or,
1: or pace. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, then you guys had kids. What like a few years after you got married? Because you're yeah, we thirteen. Uh, Penny
0: came in two thousand eight. You know, you know, first year of marriage is always a little bit rocky. You're adjusting to each other. I'm in a band. She, you know, we're trying to figure out where we, how we, how we gelled as a as a married couple. And you know, we had some we had some pretty good fights, but I think that galvanized us as a as a couple and it galvanized us as friends mm-hmm. and being able to trust each other. You know, that's always a you know I, Did I make the right decision? Am I any buyer's remorse? And we figured out that we were definitely, you know in love with each other and that we were going to make it work no matter what. And so we did. And, uh, when I, when Penny came in 2008, you know, we, we were, we were ready to be parents and we just, we were just so blessed and we just felt so happy to have a baby, you know, and that was a wonderful time, a beautiful time. And then uh, Tom came in 2010 and then, you know, we had a beautiful, beautiful, six, six, eight years with those two. And then we had a surprise in 2016 with our little one, Ivy. Mm. And yeah, so, you know, it was, it was a beautiful, it was a beautiful, I call it the sweet spot of my life up to this point. That was the most beautiful time of my life for sure.
1: Right. So with, with you being full force and into music and teaching and everything you were doing back when you got married to Christina, and then you had your first, child did you have to like pull back from music at all or was she able to stay home with the kids? Or?
0: No yeah we we're, were both teaching so you know we got the maternity leave like she took, she took a, a good chunk I took about a week two weeks I wanted to go back to work and right. then, but the band never stopped you know I, we worked around the band we would take take the baby with us if we had a show we had a couple of shows in Hawaii we had a show in, in San Francisco we'd have shows back east and you know traveling quite a bit we'd take the kids or I'd go and Stay in contact. Christina was so capable. She was just one of those people that could get things done. I never worried about her. Like she just, you know, not only was she, you know, looked the part, but she she was tough. She was strong. She was a strong woman being, and very capable. So I trusted her.
1: And I think she not only elevated you personally, but she elevated you professionally. Like you alluded to like earlier on our conversation that like one of the main reasons your other marriage ended was because this person was like the band or me. And you were like, well, go pound sand. I'm going the music route where Christina like hustled to really help you build your business to talk about that. Maybe some of the things that she actually did, how she sacrificed her own time to really help you fulfill your dreams no yeah she
0: well she ran the band
1: she yeah. first thing she said is we need to get you
0: online we need to get you a computer and we need to make sure that we're doing all this online because at the time i would just mail out contracts you know <laughs> and i put the prize and all that stuff and she she automated everything she she got to the point where she was totally in charge she took over and she would you know go pass off flyers on the pier if we had a show she would promote the show she would help me with with talking to the to the club owners she would book she just did everything she was so capable she kept my books you know i got all my my paperwork here with her on it you know she just was highly organized highly skilled just just amazing you know it just kept me in line yeah the bailout and everybody that would talk to my wife said man we had the best experience with booking you guys you guys are so professional it's all because of her
1: you know we showed it the- up and so the band was called Tijuana Dogs, right? Or is Tijuana it? Dog. yeah. And what was the inspiration behind that? I mean, I know you had some close, you were inspired by like Frank Sinatra and, and others. So what were, was, was he the, the main inspiration for it or were there others?
0: Oh, no, that, no, I started another band. Okay. <laughs> I started a big band called the Frank Sinatra Band,
1: you know, like the like okay. oh, okay.
0: tribute to Frank Sinatra. We've done that. I did that in 2011. But when I started the Tijuana Dogs in the late 90s, that was, I was surfing in Mexico. And I was coming back across the border and we stopped to get some food in Tijuana and just couldn't stop, you know, these dogs everywhere, filthy ancient dogs. And I thought, what a great name for a band. It's Tijuana dogs.
1: Mm, So I
0: didn't open mic one night and they said, well, what's the name of your band? I said, Tijuana dogs.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. It was a
0: mariachi band. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's really funny. Um, and so one of the, one of the other things, it seems like, like you, Christina, you both were gifted, not only as teachers, not only as parents, but as coaches as well. And so yeah. you kind of, you coached swimming. She coached basketball, I guess, at a, at a local day school, correct?
0: Yeah, we both, we both, I got her job. I was the head basketball coach at uh, the private school in Cronomar in Newport beach. And one time I had a, a concert and I couldn't get out of it and we had a game and I said, honey, would you, would you be willing to coach my team? You know, she, she said, did. yeah, she'd coach youth stuff. And, yeah. and I knew what, I knew that she really understood teams and basketball, and she was great. She was way better than I was. And so she was a great high school player. She was CIF player of the year, believe it or not, for the high school all-star game. She was just, she was awesome. And so uh, the athletic director said, Who, who's, who's it? Uh, I go, this is my, you know, it's Christina and you know her because they were at our wedding and they needed an extra PE teacher. And he was so impressed with her as a coach, the way she controlled the kids, just how much they respected her. And they just went, would you be willing to teach her? <laughs> so she got a job. <laughs> so we got a job. We were teaching together and I didn't know how I felt about it. I didn't know if I wanted my wife where I taught, but then it became the best thing that ever happened. I had, You know, she was, she kept me organized. You know, when, as a teacher, I became more respectable, just, you know, cleaned up my act. And she, she, she and I started coaching together for, you know, for 10 years,
1: we ran the girls and boys basketball program at this private school. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to Danette May and Earth Echo Foods. Danette was a past guest on the podcast and shared her incredible story and how it inspired her to create her products such as Cacao Bliss, which I take every day, either in my coffee or in a smoothie. It starts with 100% organic cacao beans that are naturally kissed by the sun, maintaining its miraculous health benefits. Then it's blended with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result, fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it is friendly to keto, gluten-free, paleo, vegan, and vegetarian diets. So go to EarthEchoFoods.com forward slash Doug Again, EarthEchoFoods.com forward slash Doug Check it out for yourself and learn more about the amazing benefits of Cacao Bliss. And when you enter in the promo code Doug at checkout, you'll get 15% off. Now back to the show. That's amazing. I guess a, a ne- the next big stepping stone in this whole story is is you met Kobe Bryant, right? So if you could just walk the audience through like how you met Kobe and how your relationship with him, you know, for for several years, really changed changed your career, I think, and it obviously um, had a big impact on y'all's lives at that time.
0: Yeah, well, I met him at carpool. He pulled up and he took up. The whole carpool space and he got out of his car as people were pulling out and that was my first kind of indoctrination to meeting kobe i i just walked i remember the, the headmaster goes hey man you got to go tell him to move his car because he's taking pictures he's doing the dad's thing yeah i just remember seeing him for the first time and thinking fuck that's cool that's cool <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so surreal you know and so i walked in i said hey mr brian i uh, need you to move your car he was yeah no, yeah okay <laughs> so five minutes later, he walks out, moves his car. So I'd see him for, you know, a few years. His daughter was kindergarten and, and I'd see him, you know, I'd wave to him. I got to see him. And he came and saw like the band had played a couple of school functions and he would stop and really pay attention to my band. And, and I did a Frank Sinatra big band and he was like blown away. So, you know, his daughter was in sixth grade, his oldest, Natalia, was in sixth grade, and I get this call one day, and we had become kind of conversational, you know, never really deep, but we have we had we would talk once in a while. and always wave to him. Great game last night, this and that. And then he had hurt his shoulder. This was after he had snapped his Achilles, and Christina had snapped her Achilles in a league game that we were in about a week prior. This was like in spring of two thousand fifteen. And and Kobe was injured with a shoulder injury. And he calls me and he says, Hey, I'm gonna, is it okay if I come on the field trip? You know, I'd like to be a part of it. And I said, Yeah, we're going to San Diego. And so we I get up on I get on the bus and sit right next to me is Kobe. And so we start talking, you know, and I asked him. I said, do you know much about the history of uh, San Diego? And as soon as I said that, like I asked him, you know, I, I knew a lot of the history for the kids. I had studied, you know, how San Diego was formed. And it was you know, all the different religious, fit, you know, on the trade stuff and, and worldwide everything was where it was at as far as the old town. And, and I started explaining the history to him. We started talking and we started talking about American history that he said, I don't know much about American history because I grew up in Italy. Right. You know, I know most about Italian history and European history. And we just got into a really good conversation about, you know, the Roley Coliseum and history and and one thing led to another. And then he asked me about my music and we talked about the fact that Christina had slept her Achilles. And then we got to San Diego and the kids went with this field, you know, this person that was in charge of directing the kids. And Kobe and I just hung back and we spent the whole day talking. And we went out and the kids went to lunch, and he and I went and got a beer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? Really? That's awesome.
0: Two of us, and I, I didn't tell you, I don't, I'm retired now, but
1: yeah, right. let's get
0: a beer. I said, Kobe Bryant asked me to get a beer, <laughs> and the kids are all under control. I'm going to have a beer. So exactly. we sat there, we had a beer, and, and we talked about Phil Jackson. We talked about Shaq. We talked about the players that he hated. We talked, he was just, I just couldn't believe how honest he was. I couldn't believe how candid he was and I couldn't believe just how down to earth he was and how freaking smart he was because I'm, you know, I can, I can usually feel if somebody's intelligent, you can feel somebody who's relatively intelligent you know. Right, for sure. And I, I could sense that this was an, an extremely intelligent guy and he, but he had, he almost had like a childlike way with the way he would talk about things. He was just most people are guarded. You know, most people are guarded and they don't give that like intense passion. When you talk about something, Kobe was like childlike with this curiosity about things. I would show him something and he would Let me see that. And he would look at it and he would study it and he would analyze it. He would soak it all in. And he would give it his full attention with it, whatever he did. And we just had a really intense conversation and it didn't end until you're know, like, that was like, Starting at eight o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning. And it didn't end until I got the kids off the bus at three. So for, for eight hours, we just talked about everything. Mm -hmm. I was like this, you know, and, and then by the end of it, he goes, you wanted to hear some of my music. And his question was, what the are you doing? Teaching little kids. You should be doing music full time. And I said, uh, well, I got kids to support. He says, this is what you should be doing. And he says, You know, I'm doing a lot of projects that require music. I want you to come work for me. Right there. Right oh. Okay. So he gave me, he gave me like song ideas. I want you to write about this. And he gave me like, I remember one time I'm at, I'm sitting a lot, I'm sitting like I could get my hair cut. And all of a sudden I get a page on my, like, I get a text and a call. It's Kobe. I'm like, and my barber goes, Who's that? I, and I go, That's Kobe Bryant calling. <laughs> I gotta take this call. And he told me, he goes, Hey man, where's the music? I need to get this, let's get this going. He goes, I'm serious, Matt. I'm not messing around. I said, Okay, cut my hair. And I got out and I went on, I wrote the song. And he loved the fact that I would could write something like in a day or in an hour. So he would send me songs and I would say, I can clean this up for you. So he'd write me an idea and I'd rewrite it. And then he said, you know, would call me in the middle, just call you at random time, say, Hey, can you meet me at the helicopter? We're going up to Burbank. I need you to sing this song. And say, okay. So I go up and I'd sing a song for, you know, for one of his projects. and It just became, you know, he, I, when he asked me to do something, I got it done. Hmm. And I took, I took whatever he asked very seriously and it turned into me writing for his children's podcast or all the music. For his children podcast called The Punies. And I brought in my team. I brought in my guitar player, Dave, and I brought in my my big band director Pete. And I brought in a guy that does hip hop beats. And I would bring in, you know, and I would just he just trusted me with the music for his his pop, for his you know children's show. And that relationship turned into he and I coaching together. And so I was helping him coach the girl. He started a girls club team. And we, he and I would coach at night and eventually he said, Hey, you think Christina would be interested in helping me coach? I need, I need a girl. I need a woman. And I said, yeah, I think she probably, I don't know. Cause she was running my band. She had three kids. She was teaching. She was super busy. And she said, I don't want to do it. And I said, honey, you got, you got to think about this because this could really, you know, be a stepping stone for you to really you know, do what you want which is, you know, maybe coachful somewhere big, you know? So I convinced her and she still didn't want to do it. She went out there and gave one sample. Kobe said, she's amazing. I want to make her an offer. And so that turned into her coaching. And at that time I was teaching and, you know, playing the band, the band had got to a place where I couldn't sustain both jobs. And so I quit teaching and she didn't want to be there when I wasn't there. And so she quit and we said, good. And you're coming to work for me full time. That's how, that's how it worked
1: out. Wow, man. Talk about timing for, for a lot of that, right. With, with you and the school and, and not pursuing music. Cause if you had pursued music full time, like years before that, a lot of that probably might not have even happened. Right. If you hadn't been at the right. school to meet, you know, his daughter and be involved with the school. and And I think he probably had, a deep level of respect for you for that you were like a prior you were an athlete. Like you swam in college that you knew what co- competition was like that you were smart, that you were dedicated. That you're that you're like hustling doing three jobs because he was a hustler. that guy worked, yeah. man, that guy just his work ethic, his mentality, and everything that he brought to the table was just insane. I mean, I still have the Mamba mentality book. like I think it's in my car just as a good I was I was a huge Kobe fan. like huge. Yeah. I, I loved him. I my my favorite era ever of basketball was him and Shaq on that team where they beat Portland. Remember in the Western Con- Conference? I was finals?
0: I was I was driving in my lifeguard truck. <laughs> Listen to that when I, I I I heard that all on the on the radio. I was at work. And that was that was the most amazing. I'm going to show you a picture. Yeah, that was the most amazing game I, I had ever not noticed. I just listened to it. Hold well, on, I'll show you a. Uh... This is Kobe and I on the, on the helicopter.
1: Oh wow, wow. Yeah. that's, that's awesome. A, yeah,
0: that's a pretty good. That's pretty good memory. This yeah. is my wife. That's Kobe and Gigi. Not Kobe, that's Christina and Gigi. Kobe. Wow. You can just see she looks like an angel. My wife. They yeah. both are so beautiful, the two of them. But just the past that she had as a coach, you know. Yeah. You can just see wow. she just. You know, it was so important to her to make sure those girls, that's my wife. That's us a Sunny and Share. <laughs>
1: <laughs> a great picture.
0: She's just the she was the best, man. And this this is me. I'd come to the games and she'd look across and just whisper, I love oh. you. And there she was, just doing her thing. I was so proud of her, you know.
1: Coaching with Kobe, man. Yeah. Yeah. And and I and again, it's just it, it's it's very obvious, it's obviously like uh, incredibly awful, I can't even imagine like what you and your family have been through over the last year and a half plus with everything that that happened. But just how much you've been able to take such a negative time in your life and, and turn it into to something somewhat positive. I mean, I don't. I'm sure you probably know this, but I, I think there's a lot millions of people that watched your video on America's Got Talent and have seen this level of courage that you and your kids have had throughout this process and are inspired and have probably brought them some level of inspiration for them to move through a painful situation in their life that they don't, they didn't think they would, could go through. So I guess like to, before we dive into that part, like, so what happened in between the situation you just described like, What what like, did she continue to progress and as a coach for Kobe, and then she began traveling more up until, you know, what happened last year?
0: Yeah. Well, she, they became, they really became a tight team. I mean, after a year and a half of, they went from three days a week which was the original understanding to seven days a week and it was kobe just focused it was like his main focus was getting these girls to be as good as they could be and they were they were they were amazing you watch these girls play it was like watching a college team and they all just kept improving and improving they would have you know they would have been just and they, all were, they were all going to go to the same school. They were all going to go to the same. Zach Randolph's daughter, McKinley, I think her name is. She was just amazing, and you know, Gigi was great. And then Peyton, who died in the in the helicopter crash, and Alyssa, who passed away in the crash, and all the girls in the team were just really coming together. They were they were. It was fun to watch, mm. and we as a team and as a, we call this the Mama Team the parents, myself, and the kids, we were just getting so excited about how good they were. You know, it was like, it was like, here, this, and Christina was so excited. Every every conversation we talk about, you know, which girls progressing and this and that, we had this beautiful kind of fun life, you know, and so she, they'd have tournaments in, in Vegas, and they got treated like rock stars, you know, they'd have tournaments in Arizona and go watch the Phoenix Suns play. And then the the, the, the WNBA team, and the Aces and Vegas, and whatever team I forgets out in Phoenix for the women. And they would always get this like first-class treatment. It was just this felt like it were, it was royalty, you know, you come with Kobe, you're royalty. Right. And we always just felt so privileged. It was exciting. Yeah. And so but Christina always kept everything in perspective. She goes, I just want to do my job well. That's all I care about. She hated the flying. And I look at text messages. She would say as she was getting on the plane because they come in little chartered planes always. She said, I I miss you. I hate flying. I wish you were here. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the hardest part, you know. Yeah. That's that's the hardest part to live with that because she used to have nightmares. I, I didn't tell anybody this, but she used to have nightmares about being chased by somebody and get lit on fire. And it was like weekly she'd have these horrible nightmares. And I always would say, Oh honey, don't worry about it. And then but I almost felt like she knew, you
1: know? Yeah.
0: And the scares me that my hardest the hardest thing for me is to get over the fact that I get I lie awake at night thinking that I couldn't take care of her, that I couldn't that I couldn't like be there for her when she was afraid. You know, that's the hardest part. And I hope she didn't feel, I, 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 fear her last minutes, you know, that's the hardest part,
1: which she yeah. must have thought, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And thank you for, for sharing that. It's gotta be hard and super heavy to be able to like unpack a lot of that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely yeah. heavy. It's
1: but, definitely heavy. and with, with that said, I don't want to go too deep. I don't really want to go too deep into like the day it all happened. I feel like you've probably relived that enough, but what i I guess I am more interested in, and I'm sure you could provide some insight is like the grieving process through that and how you manage to keep yourself and your kids grounded and as calm as you possibly could be to go through that process and, and as best you can with that event being so public. I mean that was it was on TV. I yeah, think that was for hard. for a few weeks straight. so how did what did that process look like?
0: At first, I, you know, I, I just, you go into like just survival mode. You know? Right. And people, you know there's media up front your house. I did a couple of interviews because it was just, it just took my mind off my own reality. Right. Like I did, I did a Anderson Cooper interview. He was a really nice guy. And I just wanted to, I just wanted to like talk about it. You know, I did America, Good Morning America. I did the Today Show. It was like, not, i didn't i I didn't know if I should have, but I did because i i I wanted people to know my who my wife was. I didn't want just her to be a name right or just one of the others Kobe, his daughter, and seven others you know I wanted my wife to have some kind of significance and so that's why I did those interviews and I wanted to tell her a story so I did that and then but as far as like the first part, I was just. was terrified i was i was shocked i cried i mean i just like i remember like one morning just waking up and just being in convulsions you know i couldn't i didn't understand why i couldn't get control of my emotions you know and i just i just cried and cried and cried like this guttural like i was possessed it was just such an intense pain and grief you know super super painful and and then I just felt this sense of like hopelessness. Like, mm-hmm. where do I go from, how do I take care of these kids? How do I, how do I find, you know, peace? And I was just, it took a little time, you know. That's like, yeah. so all I could really do is just kind of stay there. I didn't want to like try to deny it, you know. I didn't want to like, I'm okay, I'm okay, because I wasn't okay. Right. So I just I just cried and and I would I mean I would cry every day for like an hour just every day I'd cry and I, you know, I never cried in my life you know, maybe a I always cried at like sporting events I don't know why I I, I would cry at like horse races <laughs> really because <laughs> I, I always thought that was so amazing and I, like track meets I would cry but I would never cry about you know other stuff sporting events like watching kids really perform and do their best got me a little teary-eyed and, and watching my you know watching my kids do well it got me emotional but not like this, and so I just I just stayed in pain for about six months, mm. trying to get through it. And and I would I would I would act like I was okay, you know, you know everything's okay. I wasn't okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I've heard I've heard you talk about how you just went into this like, and rightfully so, I guess, super deep depression, where I guess like you lost, you know, I think obviously you lost part of yourself. You lost a big part of your life. Your your dreams been completely freaking shattered you know yeah. in a matter of, of moments right and one of the things that I think has helped you or helped you in that moment was was music and I know like you were I, I think I saw like the, the, the lost music video that like you shared that you were just in a really dark place and you just knew you had to to pick up the guitar so like if you could talk a bit about like where you were in that moment and how writing that song really helped you
0: yeah I would just you know I would. I couldn't play for like two months. I didn't yes. sit at the piano. I didn't play guitar. And then one morning I woke up and I said, I, I should at least try to try to, try to I always write, you know, I'm always writing. And so I finally just woke up one day and I just kind of got this melody in my head. And I asked myself, how did I feel? You know, I got to write about how I feel. Right. right? People are going people might be able to relate with what I'm going through emotionally. One of those feelings, it was just, I'm just lost just totally like, I don't know what the fuck to do. Right. (laughs) You know? Yeah. And so, and I still feel that way, you know, like, but I'm not as, I'm not as dire. So that song came and I called my buddies and my buddies were like, I'm just glad you called. You know, my friends, the guys that I work music with were just like, they weren't, they weren't there. Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? They said, we're just going to wait till you come to us. Mm. And that's a good thing about guy friends you know like your good buddies you know they're there and i didn't want to talk there was like there was nothing to say right you know? was, let's just get to work you know yeah and that's the great part about the friends that you do stuff with versus the friends that you talk with you just talk <laughs> right like, guys we need we need it's like we're all looking the same way to do something you know i Let's not look. I hate looking at each other. Hey, let's talk. You know, yeah. I'd rather be going the same direction, doing the same thing, and having a task versus. And that's where I feel closest to my friends is when we're doing something, Right. Like playing golf or drinking or having a good time or going surfing or, you know, or making music. And that's when I feel connected with my friends. So, I needed. They waited for me, and they're like, "Maddie, we we just stoked you called us. Let's go. Let's get to work." That's and so. Incredible. We got to work. We got in the studio with my buddy Darren, who was a hip hop artist. He was a he was a beat maker for Death Row for Suge Knight. Believe it. Oh, really? We went to high school together. He's got some stories. (laughs) Like good buddy Steve, who's stoner, and I love him. But he's like the smartest dude I know. And Matty, you know, it's yeah. And he picked up the camera. He's but I love him. Two guys that I just. You know, I've known for my whole life, and I just care about. It. So, mm. we got in the studio, and we get, went to work. And my guitar player Dave came, and the four of us made that song. Wow! And Steve videoed it, and I started crying. He says, "Tell me about the song," and I started crying. I go, "Don't show that." He says, Maddie, you got to know, people need to see this. Mm. People need to see you're, that you're that you're working through your pain, you know." And so he filmed it put it up on the video on the web and, and you can see I was really thought I was kind of like, I'd lost like, I'd lost like 25 pounds and I'd stopped eating, you know, and just, and that's when COVID hit. So yeah, you couldn't go to the gym, you couldn't go to the pool. It just sucked.
1: <laughs> they shut the beaches down. Right. Yeah.
0: Shut the beaches down. It sucked. I mean, you talk about just like, feel like the walls are coming in on you. Mm. darkness you know you you lose your wife you're depressed your kids are depressed
1: and you can't do
0: anything Mm. it's like fuck this just sucks
1: well yeah and i think a, a lot of what you just said with your friends like forcing you to show the emotion like that's what people connect to is the story behind the song not that you're not talented as a musician but i would say that people more connect with you now in your vulnerability to get emotional and share like the, the darkest moment of of your life in a very compelling way. And, and how did the whole America's got talent thing come about? Did they just see your story when you were on the today show or something like that? Or was it just something more random than that?
0: Yeah, I, I was doing a special. I did a, a taped special, a Sinatra show to raise, I started a foundation in my life. Right. And so the year anniversary I did an online thing. Anderson Cooper called me and said they do not want to help you promote it. So we promoted it. We raised a lot of money for my wife's foundation. We raised about a hundred grand. And through that interview with Anderson Cooper, one of the t- one of the scouting agents for an- for America's Got Talent saw my show and said, Wow, this guy can sing. And they called me. and They said, Would you be interested in being on America's Got Talent? And I said, I don't think so. I said, "Let me." And my manager called me. Said, I told him, and he said, "Let's let's think about this because it could be good exposure for you. You know, if you want to continue working after this, it might be a really good option for you to continue working." So, and I thought, "Well, I've been locked away for a year. I haven't got out of the house. We had a few shows here and there, and you know, what's the what have I been doing? Nothing, right? <laughs> so it was like." all right, I'll do it. And I needed to make sure that my kids knew that I did it. I wanted to know that I wasn't going to give up. And I wanted my kids to see that you got to kind of keep trying.
1: Yeah. that, That was like the most, one of the more moving parts of that video was the, the message that you wanted your kids to kind of get out of it. Right. was that you wanted them to see that, you know, not never to give up on yourself and to give, go after what you want and to just remain hopeful even during the times of despair like and just being able to, to own that mindset because life is going to pre- present challenges for anybody no matter no matter what they go through yeah yeah and you know and it's a daily battle you know
0: getting through day some like that's easy like getting up and, and performing i've done that for 20 years And, you know, being able to do it, it was, it was nerve wracking and I didn't feel great. I was kind of sick and I was tired, but you know, it's, it's a long weekend. By the time you get to Satan, you've been there for two days and you're exhausted. And, but, but I knew what the objective was, you know, the hardest part are the unexpected pains, the unexpected like grief that you get when you drop your daughter off for the first day of kindergarten when your wife's not there, you know? Those are the ones where you're like, there's nobody like celebrating you doing it. Hey, you know, when you get that community coming and telling you how great you are, that's easy. It's the it's those moments in isolation that are the hardest, you know. Those little things in life that you just wish you could share with your wives, you know.
1: Right. Right. Yeah, I can't even imagine how tough that must be with you know, making that transition and not having her there. And, and one of the things that, as we kind of just wrap up towards the end of our conversation that I know has probably been challenging is, is fatherhood for you, like making that transition now, or you're doing this all yourself, or you got you're raising three kids and you're still trying to do some stuff professionally. And then you're also working on your own healing journey and helping them heal. So how are you managing all that?
0: You know, I, sometimes I think I'm doing okay. And then sometimes I think I'm just blowing it. But I think the one thing that I haven't done is given up, you know, I'm in their life every day and whether I'm my hundred percent self or my 60% self, I'm, you know, there's times when I get mad at the kids or i say something or I feel like, Oh man, I just blew it. But I, I still go. I still pick them up. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And teenage daughters are tough. You know, I have a 13 year old and she's starting to get a little, you know, emotional and stuff like that. And I have to allow that space to, for them to be sad. I have to allow my, the space for me to be sad. And then I, you know, somebody gave me some really good advice the other day. He lost his wife. And he said, don't feel guilty when you're happy. You know, don't feel guilty when you're enjoying life. And so I've been trying to do that, just trying to find moments where I still feel where well, I'm okay. You know.
1: Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. No, I'm sure. And I'm sure that there's going to be tons of ups and downs and good and bad and pluses and minuses and curveballs in between. But I'm sure like one of the things that's probably I would imagine has helped you is just this level of accepting that things aren't always going to be okay. There's gonna right. be some days where you feel like you're on top of the world and you're on the up and up and you're healing and you're going through the grieving process, you know, better today than you were yesterday. And then I'm sure there's days you wake up and you're like, what the hell? I feel like I'm starting at square one over again. And that's every just life. Day. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's just, you know, it's a
0: process. It's not as painful as it was. I don't find myself like crying every day anymore. I have like moments where I'll choke up, you know, but not like where I just lock myself in my room and just like, I can't, can't function, you know? Right. My time does help, but then also getting away from it sometimes it's even, you know, it's like, shit, I haven't seen her in a year and a half. I haven't seen my wife. I haven't talked to her. I haven't experienced her in a year and a half or a little more. And it's just so weird to think, you know?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm sure it's gotta be obviously incredibly challenging and, and tons of emotions involved with that. And so, I guess, like to, to wrap up, I know you've you've done, you've created the Christina Mauser Foundation, which is now like a big initiative of yours. You're obviously uh, on America's Got Talent, and unfortunately, you made it to what the wild card round, and then I guess wild card round, I got
0: voted off. <laughs> How
1: would they vote you <laughs> off? I don't understand. <laughs> Come on.
0: Well, I, I think it, I mean, you could only vote on Twitter.
1: Oh. And so
0: I think a lot of my fans, I didn't have a lot of Twitter. I, I had basically a zero Twitter following. And the other gal had a pretty significant Twitter following, so oh. yeah, whatever you know, I'll be honest with it, it I didn't do it to you know i, I nothing wrong with winning, you know I was a competitor, I would have kept going and doing my thing i but they you know i I didn't get a chance to really get up there and do my thing, but yeah, yeah, you only you know but if I look at it like this, do you remember last year's America's Got talent winner
1: no. Me
0: neither. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I don't. And honestly, it's so sad that I'll hear about like a really popular mu- musician now, and they'll say that they were on like The Voice or American Idol. I'm like, really? Like okay. that? And so that you're right. You know, you're you're so right. I don't
0: that. remember. I don't remember anybody. So I knew that it was just going to be something that it's going to do, and I get my 15 minutes of fame, and the rest of it's going to be like everything else I've ever done in my life. I got to work my ass off for it.
1: Yeah, got to keep grinding. So like, so like, with that said, like, what is? what's next i know you're you're going to continue your with your music career you're going to be raising your kids but i know like i said a big focus of yours is this foundation so you're helping a lot with single moms correct
0: yeah helping parents not always single mom but a lot of times if we can find somebody that's that's a kind of a that's financially in struggle who has a kid who's a good athlete and has put a ton of effort forward we just gave a scholarship to a a great kid that went to christina's alma mater samantha and we gave her a uh, five thousand dollar scholarship to wrestle in michigan for in college wow She's in girls wrestling we gave another we gave two more twenty five hundred dollar scholarships to two really great kids that are moving on to college we got another thing coming up here at the turn of the year we're going to give away a uh, another ten thousand dollars for uh latina and we're going to do another one for a, a girl here in California. And then we're going to open up nationwide and just find those kids that have the same qualities that Christina did, putting others first work their butts off and are just inspirational for their team and help them, you know, carry on with their athletic career.
1: <laughs> Amazing. I'll, I'll make sure to include a link to that in, in the show notes. It's, it's really inspiring that you've again, taken like this negative event in your life and trying to create something meaningful to help other people. And so as far as music, or do you see yourself continuing to to pursue that pretty hard, or is your? Oh yeah, that's all, right? Okay,
0: that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's my that's my purpose. Yeah, yep. like love my kids. So yeah. we're doing. We got all you know. We're always working. We're traveling. I got a big show coming up here. I can't really talk about it on the twenty first of January. I have a big theater here in in uh, Southern California, and then I don't know if I can say, but I'm doing. I'm doing a party on New Year's Eve for a pretty prominent character in his uh, country club. You know, that's going to be fun. So, and then the T1 dogs are always playing, you know, we packing wherever we play and just having a great show. We got to put together, a, we are got to release the greatest hits album and keep putting out our music.
1: Awesome, man. Well, I'm really inspired. And I think the audience is too, and I'll make sure to, to plug all your, your stuff, your social media, your, your website in the show notes and, I just, I really thank you again for your authenticity and your vulnerability and sharing, sharing on here. And and for those listening, this is going to be one of those episodes that you're definitely going to get a lot out of, a lot of inspiration, a lot of hope. And another thing I think too is just appreciation for what you have in your life because you just never know, man. You never know when something unfortunate is going to come and and wreck your soul.
0: Yeah, you're going to have to figure it out. <laughs>
1: yeah you got to figure it out and keep going and and unfortunate things do happen and but they sometimes can you can find blessings i think in every unfortunate event, in many cases like good things do come not initially but i think long term as you look back you'll see at least one or two positive things came from that no matter how tragic it was and uh,
0: yeah that's for sure man it's a it's a mixed bag so it's it's hard to unravel but Hopefully it appears, and hopefully you can benefit from it in the long
1: run. Yeah, for sure. So, for those listening, if this episode inspired you, what I'd like you to do is t- is take a screenshot, tag Matt, tag myself. I'll put his Instagram handle in the show notes, and we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.